morning. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them up to Psalm chapter 29. Psalm 29, if you don't have a Bible, as always, feel free to use a blue pew Bible um, that you should find in front of you, and you'll find Psalm 29 in 461. Or if you've been around church in a while, you know the old trick. Just go to the middle of your Bible, and you'll find yourself in the Psalms if you got it right, unless you have a load of maps in the back, then you might not. But if you get to Psalm 118, you've reached the middle of the Bible, so that's always a little fun game you can play with yourself. But this morning, we begin our summer series in the book of Psalms, which, um, if you've been with us in recent weeks, this is about as drastic of a change from First Peter as you could get when it comes to genres, uh, book genres of the Bible, right? Where First, leader is a, first Peter is a letter, um, now Psalms is poetry, Psalms is the soundtrack of the Bible. In fact, up till um, a couple hundred years ago, the only songs churches would be allowed to sing would be straight psalms. Like, not songs based on psalms. Like, you had to just sing the psalms, and they'd put music along with it. And it wasn't until uh, a man named Isaac Watts, among among others, started writing his own songs uh, based on the psalms that he called hymns. And it was like heretical at first that they would allow hymns into the church, right? And it caused a huge controversy because churches love controversy, um, especially around music. And so it took a while for the church to be okay with the fact that we sang songs that were not straight scripture, um, but I want to spend a few minutes at the start to just talk about why um, it has been on my heart to now dig into the Psalms for the summer. Um, so you've heard uh, that people either lean towards being left-brained or right-brained, right? So somewhere along the spectrum where life left-brained, meaning you're typically more linear, you're more systematic, you're more kind of organized, just kind of point by point by point. Um, and then right-brained, meaning you're more uh, creative, generally more intuitive, more innovative, all right? So if we just did this right now, like how many of you would say that you probably lean towards being more left-brained? Hands up high. Left-brained. Okay, hands down. So how many of you would say you're more right-brained? Wow, we got more right-brained in here. I'm completely left-brained. Like, I'm right-brained deficient, okay? Uh, like, I just don't know if I have a right side of the brain um, up there. But generally, we are all somewhere along the spectrum. But here's the thing about Psalms. Um, Psalms does a masterful job of appealing to both left-brained and right-brained people. Uh, because if rightly read, it's going to make you both think and feel about God. The Psalms are full of statements about who God is, okay? So I took a systematic theology class. I loved it, right, because I'm systematic and like thinking, and it talks about the doctrine of God, right? That's the first real um, element of systematic theology, and I was amazed at how many supporting uh, scriptures about who God is, the doctrine of God, came from Psalms. We learn more about like who he actually is in his nature from Psalms than any other book in the Bible, and yet, at the same time, they're songs, right? Like, if you read psalms, like, just for doctrine, which, like, I might be tempted to do, like, you're not reading them the way they're intended to be read because it's truth expressed with music in, in poetry. 
Uh, so I'm sure everybody in here uh, likes music on some level, right? We're probably all across the board on what kind of music, but generally it's kind of like universal that people like music. The question is why? You ever ask yourself why? Why do you like music? The reason is, is that it's not just the lyrics that are spoken. Like, lyrics are important, but it's not just lyrics that are spoken. It's the way they are spoken in such a way that invokes emotion. Right? So if we did our opening worship set, like our three songs, instead of music, it was just Ilya sitting at his piano, not playing, just talking all those lyrics through for 15 minutes. Like, how many of you would be stirred by that? Right, like they're good lyrics, right? Like they're true, they're based on scripture. But if he just sat there and just spoke them, it wouldn't have the same effect. Why? Because music is intended to use truth and then hit your emotion on a deeper level. And in the same way, that's why psalms are loved by so many, because they hit on such a wide array of human emotions, right? Like if I just uh, quickly went through like different psalms, what kind of emotions they hit on, they hit on love and delight, awe, loneliness, discouragement, regret, marvel, shame, joy, gladness, fear, sorrow, anger, grief, hope, gratitude, pain. Like that's just like a quick list that the Psalms were hit on. Like you've heard the phrase, um, there's an app for that. You know where I'm going with this, right? Like any, any kind of emotion, you could just say, yeah, there's a Psalm for that. I probably should have named the series that, right? But luckily, the creative team's like, you're not right-brained. Leave that to us, all right? So, but but there's a psalm for that. And any kind of human emotion you want to think about. And psalms are unique in that they are perfect for both public worship and private devotion. While psalms often do not get preached on, the contents of this book probably get proclaimed more in a worship service than any other book throughout the duration of the year because many, if not most, of our songs are based on them. And at the same time, there is perhaps no better book to spend time in private devotion where the content of the book will allow you to both think rightly about God and feel deeply for God. There are 150 total, 150 psalms in the Bible, and each one can be put into one of six categories. We're going to have them listed on the screen. Either praise, thanksgiving, lament, wisdom, confidence, or divine kingship. You can put all 150 psalms into one of those six categories. So so this summer, our plan is that we're going to look at a psalm from each category. And it's my hope this summer that we will both think and feel deeply about God in such a way that changes your lives. And with that said, we're going to start this morning by looking at a psalm of praise. Uh, You've heard me in the past talk about the importance of praise, right? So even me, I'm kind of linear, like don't really show that much usually emotion in terms of worship, but I love worship. People just don't believe me because I look like I'm dead in the pew, but like I'm loving worship. And here's the reality. People are praisers. All people, like so your, your, your strongest Christian and your strongest atheist are both praisers. It's innate. When we are confronted with something we love, we can't help but praise, right? The act of praising completes our enjoyment, right? So when you praise, when you're truly praising, however you look when you're doing it, you're not doing it out of duty. 
You're not being like, oh, I should probably give praise to this. And, and like, as if it's your obligation. Like, like you're doing it in a sense because like you need to. Like you're confronted with something you love. Like you need to praise. Whether you're at the ball game or you're at a Broadway show or you're sitting in worship and you're moved by it. Like you have to respond. Like you can't help yourself. You praise what you enjoy because the act of praise completes your joy. And so it's no wonder that one of the most popular categories of psalms is praise. People seeing God, thinking about God, and they can't help but burst with praise simply for who he is. And I've said before, and I will continue to be convinced the longer I stand up here and preach, that simply reading God's word and seeing who he is and what he has done will do far more to transform our lives than focusing just on who we are and what we need to do. Like seeing God as revealed in a single psalm in your Bible is more transformative than an entire series of self-help books in your local bookstore. And with that said, we're going to turn to Psalm 29. And it's a little different than your traditional praise psalm. Because it's a praise of God's voice. His powerful voice sovereignly reigning over the pathway of a thunderstorm. Like people love thunderstorms in the summer, right? Like, like you always kind of hear that. The ability you can just kind of sit on like maybe a covered porch and just watch a storm in all of its glory. Like hopefully you're watching it from shelter and not in the middle of it. Like it's not as loving when you're like in a storm. But when you're watching a storm, middle of the summer, hot evening, like that is something we all love. Like I, when I go out to Wisconsin in the summer, it's great out there because it's just flat for miles. So like you like see a storm far before you feel it. And you can just kind of watch it blow over the fields and come. Like it is far grander watching a storm at her dad's hunting lodge than it is in Ridgewood. But it's so if you ever got to get out to Wisconsin, I know a guy, all right. Um, People love watching thunderstorms. And so this morning, we get to open God's word, step out onto the porch, and watch a storm come blowing through, or we can just sit back and marvel at the power of God. We're going to read this straight through. Psalm 29, follow along. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace.
King David, the author of this psalm, he paints us a picture and he moves us along various stages of this storm. And he starts with an invitation to praise. An invitation to praise because he begins with three identical commands. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Give unto him. Credit him with glory and strength. It's this bold proclamation to acknowledge God is the one and only God. And it's an invitation to praise him. And he casts this call out to heavenly beings. Other translations, if you're reading another translation, might say um, sons of God, which elsewhere in the Old Testament refers always to either angels or powerful kings. So you see what David's doing there. He's, he's saying to the most powerful aspects of the creative order, you give worship and acknowledge the power of the one and only God to his glory and to his strength. Uh, so commentators generally agree that this psalm was written as a counter to the primary false god of David's time. That the primary false god was Baal, B-A-A-L. And he was a storm god in ancient pagan cultures that um, were starting to now infiltrate Israel. So Israel started becoming unfaithful to God and they started now seeing this other god, powerful god, Baal. And they're wondering, like, what, we, we, why can't we worship him too? So they didn't just completely turn their back on God, seemingly. They just said, hey, um, we're just going to worship Baal alongside God. Like, the more the merrier. Like, this, this mentality is still popular today. Like, why should we limit our worship to one God when we can do multiple gods? Like, why can't we just have a whole bucket of gods and just get whatever we want from different ones? Let's embrace all that are out there, widen our chances of blessing. And so, yeah, like God of Israel, yes and amen, but we're also going to worship Baal. And whatever else is out there, that seems attractive to us. And these are starting to infiltrate into Israel and they're becoming unfaithful. Um, today, it would be like, yeah, let's worship God, but let's also worship Allah and Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and whoever else we can. Like, why not? They're all gods, right? David writes this psalm to reject that, just as believers today would reject the mentality because to worship every God is the same as to worship no God at all. And that's why David says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Like in our fallen nature, we are creatures who have glory hunger. Like we rob God of the glory due his name and we take it for ourselves. And so any false God in the world, any false God that's been created by men is created by men. Why? So they can control them. If I create this God, I can control this God and then I get the glory. So it even seems like worship of another God is really just self-worship. Just set ourselves up. And this is why, in general, the more successful somebody is, the richer somebody is, it's harder for them to acknowledge that all the glory goes to God and not themselves. Have you ever wondered that about people in your life? Like, like, like how do you explain to somebody who seemingly has everything that they need God? Like, if you had an opportunity in front of Michael Jordan, or I don't know, like Kim Kardashian, and you, and you found yourself one-on-one -on, -one on an airplane, and you're trying to share the gospel with them, and you're trying to tell them, like, you need something that you don't have, and they're like, really? 
How did you get here sitting here? Like, I'm always here. What, like, who put you in this seat? How do you explain to somebody who has everything that they need something? That's why uh, David's calling this out to the most powerful people in the world and saying, you guys need to ascribe worship to the one and only God because it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. Riches and wealth and success, they're not bad things. They are good gifts from God, but they are dangerous because so often riches blind us to the fact that God is God and we are not. But the people of God, even the rich, mighty, and powerful, know full well that God alone gets the glory. And it's not a burden to give him what he is due. Okay, so let's say you go out to dinner and you have this five-course meal, and it's awesome, right? And you're just ordering item after item on the menu, and they're bringing it out, and every course is better than the one. You're getting drinks, and it's just great. You're having a great time with a huge group of people. When somebody at the end of that meal comes and drops a bill on your table, you know what you don't do? You're not like, what is this? I can't believe they did that. The nerve of this restaurant to make us pay for what we just did. Like that would be insane for that to be a reaction. Why? Because the restaurant is due the bill. You enjoyed it, you loved it, you had it all, and now they're due what they're due. So it's not a burden to pay it because you, you knew full well that this is what they ought to get when we get the blessing and the richness of what we just had. And in the same way, It's not a burden for the people of God to give glory to his name because it's due his name. And so David invites us to not only acknowledge the power of God, but to worship him for it. And it's in these opening verses, David says, look, there's a storm coming. Acknowledge the power that comes with it. It's an invitation to worship. Charles Spurgeon has a way with words like no one else I've ever read. He was a pastor in the 19th century in England. He calls these opening verses the the church bell of the universe, calling kings and angels to their devotions. So an invitation to praise, but then David lays out motivation for praise. Okay, so now he tracks the pathway of this storm in verses 3 through 9, this terrific storm in all of its glory. And through it, we see five attributes of the voice of God, right? So this is where it makes us think deeply about God, vivid imagery that tells us about who God is. And this gives us five attributes of the voice to God of, of God that motivates us to worship and praise him for it. First, motivation that the voice of the Lord is supreme. The voice of the Lord is supreme. Verse 3. The verse of the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. A loud clap of thunder surpasses all other sounds in creation. Like it doesn't matter what is happening. I almost, there's a YouTube video of a, of, of a baseball game, so right, huge stadium filled with fans, and if you've been at a baseball game, right, just the loud kind of noise and murmur that's with it, and then all of a sudden this loud clap of thunder comes, and literally the batter just ducks at the, at the home plate. He just goes to the ground. And then, and then the umpire is the first one who runs off the field. Like, and, and like the whole, like they just scatter. Like this middle of a game, lot of murmur, clap, of thunder comes, everybody just bolts. 
You should YouTube it. I didn't know if it was moral to like steal that, put it on the screen. I don't want to go down that route. Uh, but take my word for it. Like thousands of fans cheering and it doesn't matter. Nothing is going to drown out a loud clap of thunder. David's way of saying nothing can drown out the voice of the Lord. Nothing can silence him. It is supreme in his creation. Again, the God of the Bible, he's not on level with all other gods. He's not competing for your voice. Listen, when God speaks, everything else will get drowned out. If God wants to speak into your life, he won't be denied. Like, can't is not in God's nature. It's not in his vocabulary. He will act. His voice is heard even in the midst of troubled waters. So if you even take this verse and you look at it on a spiritual level, we know uh, by experience that God tends to speak to us loudest in times of trouble. Like it's when the water is rising all around us that we hear his voice and we cling to it. Many of us have stories, we could say uh, hard, difficult seasons of our life is times when God has taught us most. His his voice seems to be clearest in the moments of troubled waters. Because when God speaks, everything else gets drowned out. The voice of the Lord is supreme. Second, the voice of the Lord is powerful. Verse 4, it is powerful and, and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Okay, so think of the largest thunderstorm you've ever witnessed. Do you have it in your mind? The, the, the largest thunderstorm, again, hopefully you like watched it and you weren't in it, but maybe you were in it. The largest storm you've ever witnessed. The sheer power of a storm has to be respected regardless of who you are. Right? The sheer power of a storm has to be respected regardless of, like, of like what status you're in. Storms have no care for who you are or for where you live, or for what job you have, or for who you're dating. The sheer power of a storm and the majesty behind it causes you to stop, where you don't so much see power as much as you feel it. So why will five million people visit the Grand Canyon this year alone? Five million people will go to the edge of a hole in the ground and just look at it. I was one of those five million people. It was awesome. Why are five million people going to do that? You know why? Because people like feeling small. We like going to a place where we can experience majesty and walk close to a cliff where our body and our knees start to shake at the view below. And us and five million of our closest friends are going to go along with us. Why? Because we all like feeling small. We like uh, grandeur. We like being confronted with majesty. So in the uh, second promised land, otherwise known as Norway, there is a, <laughs> there is a cliff called Pulpit Rock. We have a picture of it. 200,000 people will visit Pulpit Rock this year. That's, that's one view. And then we have another picture of kind of looking down. It's just a slab of rock that juts out thousands of feet above the fjords of Norway. Like personally, like I don't need to do that. Like I can, 
I'm good from like 100 feet back. Like I just don't need to get that close and hang my legs. Like no railings, nothing. 200,000 people will visit it this year. And like it's just a slab of rock. Why is it so popular? Why do people need to get to the edge when they're right there? Like why can't people just look at a picture and just say, I'm good? It's the power of majesty. Because majesty is not so, so much something that's seen, it's something that is felt. It rolls up through your toes and all the way up into your body where you can't explain it. It's not just a picture, it's being there and feeling power. And so it is with the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord, which we now have in the word of God which the author of Hebrews tells us this word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. Many of you, praise God, have experienced the power that is in here. Where it's not so much you're reading it as much as it, it starts reading you. And it's convicting and it's affirming and it's generating thirst in your soul and then quenching that thirst with the gift of Jesus Christ within its pages. The word of God is not so much seen and looked at as much as it is felt as you read it because you're confronted with power. Read your Bibles. Even if it's a struggle, even if you're not seeing it, keep reading your Bibles. Pray that God will just reveal its power to you. This is not just a book. We don't read it like our Twitter feed. The voice of the Lord is powerful. Third, the voice of the Lord fractures. The voice of the Lord fractures. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. David makes the point that even large, noble trees will fall prostrate at the hands of a powerful storm. Right? David refers to the trees of Lebanon, uh, that being a region that was known for its dense forests and large trees. But it would be like us today saying that the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of the redwood forest. Even the largest, most noble trees will fall prostrate before the Lord at the hands of a powerful storm. And even the largest, most powerful aspects of creation will not escape the power of the Lord when he sends word. And even God's word will fracture the hardest of hearts among men. So some of you have a story where you were so far from God, like you weren't even looking for him. Indeed, you were running far from him, and God decided to speak and change everything. It's like in Acts chapter 9, there was a man named Saul. And this man was on his way to capture and imprison Christians. Heart was hardened. Until we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He heard a voice. When God chooses to speak, his voice will not be drowned out. And it fractures even the hardest of hearts to draw people to himself Praise God. For us today, how much hope this gives us as we pray for our loved ones that are far from him. 
to give us encouragement and affirmation, not only in our own stories, but it could be true for those that we love that nobody is too far gone from the grace of God. No one's outside the bounds. No one is beyond hope. The voice of the Lord fractures even the hardest of hearts. Fourth, motivation. The voice of the Lord sparks movement. Verse 6, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Uh, Lebanon and Syrian, again, are entire regions and valleys near uh, where David is writing from. And he's saying the voice of the Lord can move these regions like it's nothing. Make them skip along the landscape. Thousands of years after this, Jesus would come and in his teaching he would tell his disciples uh, saying, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will move mountains. And you will say to a mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And indeed, it was the dying voice of our Savior on the cross when he let out his last gasp and gave up his spirit that scripture tells us the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened. And again, quoting my man Spurgeon on this verse, says, glory be his name. The hills of our sins leap into his grave and are buried in the Red Sea of his blood when the voice of his intercession is heard. The voice of the Lord sparks movement in the hearts and lives of people where we can hear his voice and like the prophet Isaiah say, send me, I'll go. I'll go, whatever the cost. It sparks movement in our lives, has us going places and doing things that we would have never imagined. And then fifth, Motivation for praise. The voice of the Lord illuminates the darkness. Verses 7 through 9. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And his temple all cry, glory. Lightning and thunder always go together, right? So, thank you, Wikipedia. I found out this week that thunder is merely the sound that lightning makes. You guys probably already knew that. I just learned that, all right? That, that they're not two different things. Thunder is just the sound that lightning makes. They always go together. But we see lightning first because light travels faster than sound. You're welcome, all right? <laughs> and while thunder shakes... Lightning illuminates. Lightning illuminates the wilderness and what was once shrouded in darkness now comes into the light. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can easily hide things from one another. We're easily fooled people. We can deceive our peers. We can deceive our family members. We can hide secrets from our friends. We can keep everything that concealed that we want to if we're good at it. But we must know that all that is concealed will one day be laid bare by the Lord. And we will all be found out. And what is shrouded in darkness will eventually come to the light. Even what we would consider the wilderness of our soul, the uninhabited, the well-hidden aspects of our heart will be exposed. 
And for those who are in Christ, who have confessed their sin and put their faith in Christ alone, that is good news. That Christ will intercede for us in every area of our life and forgive every sin that is shrouded in darkness. But for those who have not turned to him, the voice of the Lord will find men and women hiding in darkness, just like it found Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned. And all that is hiding in darkness will be brought into the light. All of creation will bow and know that he alone is worthy of glory on that day. So David invited us to praise. David showed us the motivations for praise via the pathway of a storm. And now lastly, David shows the outcome of praise. Verse 10 The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So after a thunderstorm rages by, the quietness that follows can almost feel eerie. And oftentimes the aftermath of a violent storm leaves a flood behind. And around here, it's often once a storm quickly rages by and passes that you start hearing sirens start blaring, right? Emergency personnel are being rushed to different places to treat damage that has been done. And when crisis strikes, the capability of like the top leaders and all these emergency personnel has become vitally important. Like, how are they going to handle things under pressure? But here, David assures us, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He is calm. He is unmoved. Our God doesn't get nervous. He doesn't drive an ambulance or a fire truck. And the universe is eternally on his shoulders, and he doesn't get tired or wonder how things are going to play out. He is king forever. He is the creator, and the creator will never be outmatched by his creation. He is sovereign over all and nothing happens that is outside of his counsel. No storm erupts that he's not able to use for his purposes in restoring and redeeming a fallen world for his glory. And then verse 11 is what makes this psalm dance. It shows us the main point of that entire thing. Why did David take us through that? Verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The outcome of praising his name is peace in the midst and fallout of a storm. The power that God displays in the storm is the same power that God gives his people through Jesus Christ, and this strength will provide peace. Isn't it amazing, church? That the only one who could save us from the storm is the author of the storm itself. God is our shelter. God is our refuge who, through Jesus Christ, saves us from his own wrath by taking our sins and nailing them to the cross that crucified his son. And while the storm ranges all around them, God's people experience the blessing of peace. Don't let that fall lightly on you this morning. Peace that goes beyond understanding. Peace where we could proclaim in the storm, it is well with my soul. And if you were in him this morning, this verse is your heritage. 
This is your life song. And it takes the voice of the Lord in a storm and finds in it peace, not terror. So the next time you're able to watch a summer storm come blowing through, let the sheer power remind you of the sovereign God who rules over all things. And trust that the power that rules over the storm is the same power that provides peace for those who believe in him. Praise him. Praise his holy name. Let us all give him the glory that he is due this morning. Let's pray.